The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I am Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm here with Nikki Boskia Durlester. Nikki is a breast cancer survivor and patient advocate. Following her diagnosis in 2009, she penned her memoir, Beyond the Pink Moon. As a carrier of the BRCA2 mutation inherited from her mother, she told the story of her family's staggering history of hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. Her Facebook group, by the same name, has close to 4,000 members in 30 countries. Founded in 2010 and moderated by Nikki, it's an active forum for discussion for survivors, previvors, caregivers, MDs, and healthcare professionals. Nikki's second book, The Pink Moon Lovelies, Empowering Stories of Survival, is an anthology of 50 stories from breast and ovarian cancer survivors and BRCA previvors from her Beyond the Pink Moon Facebook group, with a foreword written by internationally resound breast surgeon Dr. Christy Funk. Nikki and the Pink Moon Lovelies can be found at Facebook at Beyond the Pink Moon, and Nikki's also active on Twitter at at Nikki Durlester, N-I-C-K-I-D-U-R-L-E-S-T-E-R. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you for having me, Cheryl. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure, and and I do want to acknowledge right from the start that... um, I do feel very honored to have you with me because you've had a very rough and close loss, sudden loss in your family this week of your son-in-law. No, it was my daughter's so, love. Your her. daughter's love. Yeah. And that's, that's um, I haven't had that particular loss, but uh, I know it's pretty staggering right at the start to try to do something like this. So I appreciate you being here. My pleasure. I'll do the best that I can under the circumstances. Absolutely. Sometimes I know those times are open in a different way, but also just hard to hard to uh, think in a linear fashion. So mm. we'll we'll both walk that together. But I wanted to start just by talking about your memoir and your experience. Um, obviously, you've been. Um, You've had a lot of of longer, you know, uh, deaths that you knew might happen uh, with members of your family having um, cancer, uh, which, of course, I find a different kind of death. I don't know if you do or not, but that's a that's quite a uh, a way to live 
having periodically having losses um and I don't know if if listeners know that the BRCA mutations actually make you at much higher risk for breast and ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. It's an um, 87% lifetime risk of breast cancer and close to 50% for ovarian cancer for the particular mutation that my family has. That's a staggering percentage. Mm-hmm. And why, that was why my mother, who was one of eight girls, she and... Six of her sisters all had hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. And so what, uh, did you know as all that was happening that you were at risk, or was that a later um, knowledge? You know, I've been in in, uh, cancer work for a long time, and when I first started, uh, I don't believe people were being tested. Well, the BRCA mutations were not discovered until 94 and 95. Um, BRCA1 was discovered first and then BRCA2. But my family had participated in the study at the National Institutes of Health since the early 70s. Um, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1962. And um, they, were, they were almost like dominoes, the women in her family. They fell from these diseases. And one of my aunts wrote to a doctor at the National Institutes of Health, saw that he had a study going on to identify a potential hereditary link, and they invited us to join the study. We were the 39th family to join. By the time the study closed in the late 90s, they had 6,700 families. But it did lead to the discovery of our particular mutation in 1998. So I did not know as a young girl, you know, we thought perhaps it was an environmental link. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, as time went on, uh, we discovered that the malignancies were linked to this this BRCA mutation. I can imagine, you know, not being in that situation, and but but also having heard people talk about it, that that creates both, um, you know, when you were diagnosed uh you you said to your husband the jig is up so yeah. in that sense um there's a way you're preparing or or knowing it might happen um but i can also imagine that there's a lot of anxiety and fear wrapped up in that can you talk some about that well i think for me you know i always i was 5 when my mother was diagnosed and then her first sister passed away when i was 7 my aunt who lived with us who never married. She was single. She died at 39 from ovarian cancer. Um, I was nine when she passed. So I kind of grew up with this big black cloud hanging over my head. And I, I suppose there was a part of me that always feared, you know, suffering the same fate. But when I was 34, I made the decision to have a preventive total hysterectomy because so that to this day, there are very poor screening methods ovarian cancer, and it's such a silent killer that sneaks up on a woman um, that I decided to preventatively have that, And but at that same time, um, and this was in 1990, I decided not to remove my breasts. The mutation had not been discovered at that point and seemed pretty radical to start, you know, removing all these body parts. Um, and I guess, you know, the fact that my mother survived breast cancer, she didn't die of breast cancer, she died of fallopian tube cancer. Mm. I, I don't know if I ever really thought I would 
get breast cancer. I was hopeful that I might not. When I find out, when found out that I did, in fact, have the mutation, I decided to practice active surveillance instead of removing my breasts and, and always thought that if I was diagnosed, it would be at stage zero. But unfortunately, um, I didn't realize that 30% of BRCA mutation carriers who are practicing active surveillance, um, you know, at the time that they're diagnosed, the cancer's already in their nodes. So they don't always catch it at the earliest stage. Mm. Um, and I was stage two when diagnosed. So, you know, yeah, I definitely, you know, there was some fear there, some worry, but, you know, being kind of a Pollyanna, I thought I might fall on that 13% of people mm. who do not get it. You know, I lived a really healthy lifestyle, exercised, ate right, um, took a holistic approach to my health. Um, but, you know, it, that's why I said the jig was up. It was as much as I hoped it wouldn't happen when it did, it wasn't a total shock. But what it did do is opened up Pandora's box and kind of all those sad memories I had tucked away for a long time came bubbling to the surface. And I finally knew what my mother felt like when she was diagnosed with cancer. And until you walk in someone's shoes, you really have no clue. Yeah, you can't know. No, you but, can't know. I, but the other... Uh, very interesting thing you're bringing up, you know, now that we do have kind of all this scientific knowledge, you you can know when you might be at more risk in certain cases. Yes. It, it, it leads to, I think, some really uh, profound and difficult decisions for people. It does. Uh, you know, yeah. remove, don't remove, Sur- surveillance, not, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a whole different layer of of um, work for people uh, who are not actively sick at all, but but have to face these questions. It's tough. it's tough. My own daughter tested positive for my BRCA2 mutation when she was 23, and so she was at that same crossroads. Do I practice active surveillance? Do I have the you know make a preemptive strike and have the prophylactic surgeries? She waited three years, and then at 26, she decided to have the prophylactic bilateral mastectomy. And it was the right decision for her. You know, she got it done. She's moved on with her life, and before she's 35, she'll have a total hysterectomy. Um, But for me, it wasn't that clear-cut. It just seemed at that time, you know, this was a while back, before Angelina Jolie, before it, you know, became um, almost in vogue in a way, Mm. Uh, it seemed too radical to continue mo- removing body parts. You know, my dad died of colon cancer, so you know I, I wouldn't even consider removing my colon. So mm-hmm. I chose active surveillance, and you know I got snagged. You know, was it the wrong decision? I don't think so, because if I had had that surgery then, I never would have written a book, and I wouldn't be affecting more lives than my own. So mm. I guess that's the silver lining to it. Well, that says something about you that, that, uh, were you always a person who, um, might be inclined towards making something of what happens in your life, of, of trying to use it for positive good after it happened? Yes. Or did that change as a result of, of cancer? No. That's who I always was. Cancer did not change me one iota. It changed the trajectory of my life, and, you know, I ended up retiring from my day job. I had had a 30-year career as an executive search consultant, 
and um, it changed that. I decided to, um, you know, become an advocate, a patient advocate. That's something I would not have done if I hadn't been diagnosed with breast cancer, but didn't change who I was at my core. And I think I just learned at a very young age, you know, having my aunts die when I was so young and watching my own mother um, ill from the time I was five, um, I think that either I was born with resilience or it was something I acquired along the way in order to survive. And, you know, I just think uh, we're not what happens to us. It's how we react to what happens. Um, sure. most important. <coughs> That's in- interesting what you're saying because I do find, um, I don't know, I mentioned this a lot on the show, this this field called post-traumatic gro- growth mm-hmm. uh, that, that has to do with how sometimes we, we do grow and uh, as a result of engaging, it's struggling with what happens in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but you already, uh, it sounds like, had a pretty um, strong core, core sense of yourself. Uh, I, I believe I did. Yes, I do. Yeah. So that part didn't change, but some of the ways that manifested in your life have certainly changed. Yeah, it, and, just, it changed the direction. I changed. I decided that I wanted to spend the rest of my life. You know, I was fifty-two when I was diagnosed. Um, I want to spend the rest of my life giving back, helping others who are also in this process, hopefully making their journeys a little easier. And I felt it was really important to take time to educate. Um, because you know, so many people were still in the dark about genetic mutations, and also in the dark about breast and ovarian cancer. You know, signs, symptoms, screening um, that they should be aware of. So I think that's, and you know, I was very fortunate that I could do that. Um, that I was at a stage in my life where I didn't have to work anymore, and I could could give back a hundred percent of my time. So it definitely changed that. I never thought my little story, though would lead um, to what it did. I feel very, very grateful for that. I thought a few people would read it, close friends and family, but thanks to social media and, you know, the love and support of people I met along the way, you know, it slowly made its way around the world, and I'm hugely grateful for that. You know, one thing I've thought a lot as I've been doing this show is how hungry people are for stories that they identify with. Um you know, if if we're if we're going through something, we want to know other people have gone through it. I wonder if that's also a part of people, you know, gravitating to um, to your story, uh, your book, and your story in a sense. You know, I'm in the I'm kind of in a, very, a niche market. You know, the BRCA world's pretty small, and uh, thanks to Facebook and the different BRCA groups, um, genetic uh, hereditary cancer groups, we makes it easier for us to find each other, and we, we tend to be a very supportive community. Um, my particular group, Beyond the Pink Moon, is not just for BRCA carriers. It's for anyone whose life has been touched by breast um, or ovarian cancer or hereditary cancer. Um, so uh, I think that's why you know, maybe we've grown as much as we have because you know, pretty much anyone has been touched by cancer these days, it seems, and most people know of someone who's had breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and you know, we're there to provide support. Um, but you know, without the social media platform, it would have been would have been impossible. I'm very grateful to Mark Zuckerberg and 
<laughs> and Facebook. Yes, and I, I have too. friends who say, ugh, Facebook. And I say, no, Facebook is a way to know people. It's a way to connect. It is. And it that's, is. that's a pretty powerful thing. Maybe especially for, um, especially for people who are, you know, just being diagnosed and treatment, may not want to run out to a location somewhere to find support. There's still a lot available, even if you're staying in your home. Yes, and you can do it anonymously behind your computer screen, and that's safe. You know, you, you're in the comfort of your own home, talking to, you know, complete strangers from across the world who have walked, though, and kind of walked in your moccasins in a way, maybe mm-hmm. before you have, that can give you some, you know, guidance, important advice to help make the process a bit easier. Um, and, it, you know, in our case, Beyond the Pink Moon is a very safe place to vent, let it all hang out. It's a closed group. You have to be accepted into it. Um, and comments can only be read by those within the group. So it's, uh, you know, it, we have people, I mean, I think that we have people from all walks of life on Pink Moon. We have men and women. Of course, as you mentioned, we have medical doctors, healthcare providers who have been very generous with sharing their expertise. And, um, you know, it's hard to find that in a forum like that. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, and if I were a member, I'd, I would also kind of hope that they occasionally read the posts of the patients because there can be a real disconnect uh, in the medical community from the actual experience of the, experiences of the people that they're caring for. No, they're very open, and there's definitely shared decision-making on Beyond Beyond the Pink Moon. We have a lot of plastic surgeons in the group because women having, you know, mastectomies also sometimes choose breast reconstruction. Right. Some women do not. It's a personal choice, but either way, we have plastic surgeons on there that can can help with the decision-making. Well, let's let's talk a little more about the group when we come back. It's time for our, our first break right now, but I'd like to just talk a little more about how how that support works. And, and listeners, you can take these few minutes to go to my host page, share your story with me. There's links to social media and my email, my website. And if you want to find Nikki Durlester, you can go to her page at Facebook, Beyond the Pink Moon, or her Twitter, at Nikki Durlester. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, and I've been talking with Nikki Durlester, an author and patient advocate, and also the moderator of the 4,000-member international Facebook group Beyond the Pink Moon that supports uh, women with breast and ovarian cancer. And Nikki, before the break, we were talking about the group. Um, I, I I really very much appreciate uh, what goes on on that page because it it um it's a real beautiful blend of experience or narrative and um information mm-hmm. which um seems to me those are the two most helpful things to people trying to um face their lives post cancer yeah we have we post the breaking news every day in the breast and ovarian cancer world um also in the BRCA world uh the breast cancer, you know, gene mutations. And then, you know, more often than not, it's women sharing their personal stories and asking questions about their particular cases. Um, you know, we have the newly diagnosed, um, up to 20-year survivors, so um, kind of the whole gamut there. A lot of experience represented. Yes. One thing I noticed uh, reading the the book that the uh, members of the page wrote the the pink moon lovelies Mm -hmm. is that it was notably um what do i want to say self-supporting um there didn't seem to be a high degree of self-blame self-criticism which does happen for a lot of people and I, I just, it may, caused me to wonder, you know, if whether just by the act of having support of that sort, that's less likely. Hmm, that's a good point. I mean, I don't, uh, probably the person that blamed themselves the most would be me because I had the chance to remove my breast and didn't take it. But the, I, I regret is not the, you know, we don't encounter that that much on, on Beyond the Pink Moon. Fear is probably sure. biggest. Yeah, and it's also the longest-lasting side effect of cancer, um, the fear of recurrence. But, but no, um, no, not regret, not self-blame. No one to blame for these things, right? It's again. It I absolutely yeah. agree. But hu- human beings are pretty good at doing it anyway. Sometimes, <laughs> so it really yeah. did stand out to me that there seemed very little of that, and and that that's just so important in being able to 
walk yourself through such a difficult experience, kind of to be on your own side, to to trust your instincts about what to do, because there are just so many decisions to make. Mm -hmm. I think the women in the group are very helpful to each other with that. And, you know, they were telling their stories on Beyond the Pink Moon, and, you know, some of them were just so compelling that it, 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 it just seemed like it made a lot of sense to share them on a larger scale, if possible. So, you know, we just put it together in an anthology and self-published it. And we were very fortunate that Dr. Christy Funk, you know, a renowned breast surgeon, wrote the foreword. And shortly after we published our book, Angelina's story came forth. And Dr. Funk was her doctor. She's also my doctor. And, um, you know, the timing was perfect. Mm. We were very lucky to get the book out there into the right hands. And, you know, that, that became a bestseller. Absolutely. Wonderful. Because there's 50 stories in that book, and a woman could pick it up and just read the story that pertains to her rather than reading the entire book. You know, you. um, So I think that's why it's been, it's done well. The the other thing that I noticed reading it, and this isn't a new revelation, but it really reinforced it. When When you're diagnosed with something like breast cancer, ovarian cancer, within a short time, you become pretty much a medical expert in that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was there was a great comfort, comfort with quite scientific terms, and you know, um, mm-hmm. I, that's so notable to me in the groups that I run for women with cancer too. That you just most people um, feel kind of called upon to educate themselves in quite a thorough way you know because mm-hmm. it's your own body but that's a new territory for most for most of us mhm we we don't live there you know every day maybe a little more people who think they're at increased risk mhm um, i think that we live in a day and age where you know information's at our fingertips you want to make sure that you access the right websites you could diagnose yourself to death if not but if you access reputable websites to um, websites, excuse me, to educate yourself, like um, WebMT, D, Mayo Clinic, Sloan Kettering, you can really get a wealth of information about your case and then meet with your doctors and be informed and ask smart questions. So, and you know, knowledge is definitely power, and once you're armed with a plan, um, it makes all the difference in the world. When you're first diagnosed, it feels like blunt force trauma, or at least it felt that way to me, and mm-hmm. it was even expected in my case. Um, it's still... I, I didn't even know where to begin, I, you know. I so it's, uh, but once you get all your ducks in a row, and you arm yourself with a uh, surgery and a treatment plan, you begin to feel empowered, and you can find a lot of that information in these online support groups as well. I had not been a member of one. Um, I wasn't even on Facebook when I was diagnosed, mm. but um, since you know founding Beyond the Pink Moon, I think it's been an excellent source for the newly diagnosed. And, and even those going through treatment and those who are many years, you know, past a diagnosis. You need ongoing support. There's post-traumatic stress syndrome to being a cancer survivor. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, um, you know, in, in my particular situation, my, my wife died after a very long illness. She was supposed to die much sooner. She lived much longer, but... We sort of actively uh, tried to grapple with death, 
So when I started doing groups again, I realized, oh, sometimes you get get treated, you're better, and there's a lot of fear that that hasn't exactly happened, you know. Mm-hmm. It came as a little bit of a surprise to me, but there can be recurrence fear. They're actually studying that now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's such, a, it's such a big impact on people's lives. Yeah, it is. There's the collateral damage of being a cancer survivor. Um, it's not like one and done. You're diagnosed, you have treatment, you go on and you're... No, it's it's ongoing. Um, I don't think your life is ever the same. It doesn't mean that it can't... You can't still find pleasure in every day and make the most of each day, but you have to be able to manage the, you know, the the ongoing fear that might bubble to the surface, or you know, the ongoing, um, you know, the post traumatic stress from the event, the event itself. Because when you're in the middle of it, of of dealing with it, you don't have time to even um, you're like reacting to each step, right? You go to the doctor, yes. you get diagnosed, <laughs> and you have to see all the specialists, have your surgery. And then it's almost like this hurricane that blew through town. The sun's out and shining when you're all done, but there's all this debris left that you have to clean up, you know, the emotional stuff. And that, that takes a long time, I think. Absolutely. And maybe at, at moments, uh, it's sort of like any, any form of loss or fear. There, there are moments it's going to touch you mm-hmm. uh, throughout a lifetime. Hmm? Yeah, I think there are triggers. Triggers mm-hmm. that cause it all to bubble to the surface. I mean, this recent loss in our family um, brings a lot of stuff back, you know, that I lived through when I was younger. You know, you try to compartmentalize it because you want to live your life to the fullest each day. You don't want to be a full-time griever for the rest of your life. But something will happen, and uh, those feelings come to the surface again. And, uh, you know, that uh, it's tough. Definitely very difficult for me. There's always like a part of me that's a little bit sad, even though I've had a very fulfilling and happy life. You know, it was uh, sad for me to lose my mother at 20 and for her not to live, to to meet my husband, my children, um, you know, see the many blessings I've had in my life. I would have loved to have shared that with her. But, you know, I try to take comfort in the fact that I had her for 20 wonderful years and have many wonderful memories that have been a source of consolation to me throughout my life. It's never enough time with those we love, never. Right, those two sides of the coin, too, that, uh, uh, from my view, relationships don't end, you know. Mm-hmm. Bodies do. Um, mm-hmm. It was very clear in your book how deep your relationship with your mother is, but there are moments, at least for me in my life, where the people I've lost, I just want them to be, you know, physically here. There's there's no there there's no removing the fact of of that as a loss, regardless of some other wonderful things that can also be true. Mm-hmm. Is that is that what you're talking about in a sense? Oh yeah, I, th- I mean I feel like my mother is always with me. You know I'm a big believer in signs. You know I feel like um, she's guided me throughout my life. But you know if I could have one more day of her being here, her physical presence. You know that would be be amazing, but that's not meant to be. So you, mm. you, I've continued the relationship, like you said. Relationships don't end, um, but uh, you know, for something like what we're going through now, when we lost someone suddenly without any expectation, twenty eight years old, um, it's crushing. It's spirit crushing. Mm. 
It's yes, and there. I, I don't know about you, but when when I've had relationships with people and they knew that they were heading towards death, there were a lot of conversations mm-hmm. that really helped me, even now. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife died in 1995, and I still think about some of those conversations. And um, to have a very, very sudden loss, there's uh, there's none of that. There, mm-hmm. There's no, no sense of being connected in it, and that just must be staggering. Yeah, and you just never think somebody 28, young and healthy, will suddenly die. And I, I had the same conversations you're referring to with my mother. She was a woman of great faith. She had no fear of dying. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the process, and there was nothing left unsaid. And it was time, when it was time for her to go, it was just kind of a part of life. It's just something, none of us get out alive. We all yes. die. But, you know, we had said our goodbyes, uh, you know, until we see each other again. But in this case, when you lose someone unexpectedly, so suddenly, so young, without having that opportunity, and it's so final, you never see them again, you can't talk to them again. It's, it's just, you know, we're definitely in a fog. It's been eight days, and I don't think we've fully digested what's happened, and you're just trying to get through each day right now. And it comes in waves, as you know, Cheryl. You know, it's like a set mm-hmm. of surfer on a calm ocean, and then a set of waves come in grief, and it's just overwhelming and, and uh, you know, just trying to breathe right now. That's a full-time job. Yeah, it is. In the beginning, it is, yeah. In the beginning, it is. Yeah, yeah. But there's a, there's a sense in the way you're talking of, obviously, every loss is different, and every loss in every relationship is different and, you know, no way to say this is like that. And yet there are some um, aspects you can say, as you know, we're in a fog and I know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, that there's just, there are some elements of grief that are um, almost universal. Mm-hmm. That I, sense agree. I do agree with you about that. Yes, I agree. Some, some parts of process. the experience. Yeah. I think the process is the same. I think for someone like my daughter, 28 years old, it's uh, when you have so many hopes and dreams and plans with someone and that is erased in one moment, you know, it's uh, her, it was like her future was taken away. Um, but, you know, time, yeah, hopefully in time with a love and support of family and friends, grief counseling. Um, hopefully she will will move on. You know, it, it will be like a, a cut that heals over and becomes a scar. It's always there as a reminder, but, but uh, hopefully it won't be the defining moment or will define the rest of her life. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. I thought about that a lot when uh, my children were young and we had such a big loss. How would that impact their view of life? Mm -hmm. And um, I was just thinking about this because a a friend is facing maybe a diagnosis and has young kids. And um, I can see how my kids have uh, taken what they've experienced and made something from it 
not to say the loss is anything good, but they have made something from their losses. You know, they're the ones who can talk to a friend who's who's had a loss or who's diagnosed with something, or they're the ones who are not afraid to to be there in that way of all their friends. Um, but there is a sense of kind of being ahead of time with that in some sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, boy. I wish mm-hmm. I had the answers. I really do. <laughs> I wish I knew where... What happens when we die? Don't you wish to... I mean, I would love to know that where does the, our essence go? Um, I am, you know, obviously I'm a woman of great faith, so... But even so, like, I just... I don't know. Struggling these days with it. You know, I think it's okay to question when you go through something like this. Um, well, and be I don't, angry. Yes, yes. I don't... I don't... I think faith is about what we don't know, but it doesn't mean we don't wish we knew it. Exactly. Oh God, that's, that's exactly right. Like, why did this happen? What you know? Yes. What is this all about? And what's it all about? Why is someone taken so young when there are people you know who are very elderly and very infirm that are still here with us? And you know, it's just very hard when someone young, you know, their their time is cut so short. But yeah. Incredibly painful. I remember I used to spend a lot of time with Stephen and Andrea Levine, who've done a lot of death and dying work. Uh, and uh, Stephen would say, uh, "There, there's, there's no order to it. If there was people who every day in a nursing home were saying, I want to die, I want to die, they would. Mm-hmm. No one young would ever die. You know, yeah. it's... Um, there's some kind of randomness mm-hmm. order as well as purpose and and um meaning and you know, that's yeah i agree my you know my 87 year old father-in-law died last december and we were profoundly sad when he died and my 25 year old son said one day on the day you're born, if you were handed a contract that said you would live to be 87, would you take that deal? Mm. And we all said, you know, thanks, because it's the truth. 87 years is a long, wonderful life, you know, live to see his children, grandchildren all grown up. So many blessings. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's, but, but yet it's still profoundly sad to say goodbye to somebody you love, no matter how well, old they are. For sure, How old you are. But then, when someone, you know, twenty-eight passes away, it. Uh, the, I think the grief is that much greater. I do for what could have been. You know, a whole life filled with promise. Yes, and the unexpectedness. Yeah. Let's so I, let's pick that up when we come back, okay. Nikki. Time for our break. You can go to www.weatheringgrief.com. Two G's to find me and uh, connect with me. And to find Nikki Durlester, you can go to Beyond the Pink Moons page at Facebook or at Nikki Durlester on Twitter. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Nikki Durlester, author of the memoir Beyond the Pink Moon, editor of The Pink Moon Lovelies, uh, 50 Stories of Survival from uh, After Breast Cancer. And we've also been talking about her family's recent loss, her daughter's um, sweetheart died this week. And, of course, we can't really bypass that on a show about grief. Um, so you were telling me on the break, Nikki, um, you know, ju- that there he had had a seizure, but that there wasn't expected to be any more. Um, so in that sense, it's very staggering, too, you know, that you're given the all clear mm-hmm. about something that then turns out to be so catastrophic. That's that's hard well, to accept know, we, as well. We well, we still don't know at this point, you know, so it's still speculation, but all we do know is he had had one prior one, but I don't know. It just, uh, yeah, we don't know. There are more questions than answers at this point. Um, but you just never expect something like this to happen. You don't. So young, yeah, but it does happen. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, 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 you don't think it's going to happen to you. You know, you hear these stories, you hear them in the news, and but then when it happens to you, you uh, it's a whole different ballgame. So, yeah. what, no- what I've noticed for myself is I cannot imagine the losses I haven't had. <laughs> you know, I now can imagine losing a mother or a father, you know, uh, a partner, because I've had those experiences, mm-hmm. and, and I and I know none would be the same. But it's it's a known territory, in a way that things I haven't experienced aren't. Um, there's just such a a sense of um, mystery uh, before something happens to you. Well, and you never want anything to happen to your children. Yes. You know, you just, it's, 
you know, you're you're much prouder of their accomplishments, you know, as a parent, you know, how that goes. I mean, we... I do. Yeah, and you're so grateful for all the blessings in their lives, much more than anything that could happen to yourself. And when you can't fix something, when they're so sad and heartbroken, it's it's just, it's terrible. I just, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, this is something new to me, too, and I just, you know, I just wish I could fix it, but I can't, and... You know, we're just going to do the best as a family to love her through it. I love my daughter through it and get her the help that she needs. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, she'll be able to move on the best that she can. You know, she'll always love him and will always have a special place in her heart. She expected, as she said when she delivered his eulogy, he was the lover of her life. And she fully expected to spend, you know the entire rest of her life with him, but, you know, that's been taken away. So she has to learn now to live without him, and that's going to take time. You know, I I have to think, of course it is, and I have to think that because you know something about what it means to support somebody when you can't change the circumstance, Mm -hmm. um, that's what you do, isn't it? It is what I do. It's, <laughs> so, it's what I do on know, a daily basis on for a women daily around basis. the world. Yeah, I, I do that for women around the world. I do it for complete strangers. But, you know, it's it's ripping my heart out having to do this for my baby bear. That's what I've always called her. She's my baby bear, and she's pure joy and a ray of sunshine. And to see her so, you know, broken right now, it's it's killing me. I want to, you know, I know I just have to take my cues from her and, and, you know, do whatever I can to help her through this. But I feel like, you know, I'm an amateur at this. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel out of control. I'm sad myself. I loved him too. But this is not about me. This is about her and his family who lost their son and brother. And I just can't even imagine the magnitude um, of that loss. Uh, But just trying to do the best I can to support them all through it. But we're all hurting. You know, we all loved yes. him. And, well, you're all and, hurting together. Yeah. You're all hurting it together. Is, it is different, I guess, from, you know, supporting people out there because you're in it as well. Exactly. But I, I, just, was, I just was imagining that that capacity to um, be with and to listen is, um, is serving you even and though not, it, it may not feel like it yet. No, 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 it absolutely is. But, you know, I do something totally different. It's like I'm a, I'm a specialist at breast cancer, um, and but I knew nothing about sudden loss. I'd never experienced it before in my life. Of the, My mother was one of 11. I lost all 11 of them, including my, you know, the in-laws are all gone now. I've suffered a lot of loss in my life. My dad died when I was 34. My mom was 20. You know, I have lost first cousins. I mean, I've lost a lot of people, but I never lost um, somebody suddenly without saying goodbye. And it's something, uh, I, I, it's just shocking and, you know, utter shock and despair. That's all I can say. Absolutely. And, uh, and you're also saying something, um, something about, uh, uh, that connects to a thought I have that you when you have a particular experience, you gear your expectation of the future to that experience. Yeah. 
death happens this way. You know, I noticed that when uh, I had a friend die a couple of years after she died of cancer, but there were some very unexpected things that happened in that process. Mm -hmm. And I was completely thrown for a loop. Uh, You know, not because necessarily because she was dying, but because it wasn't going the way I had in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was true. it was shocking in some sense. Um, so that's what but, I connect know, with when you say that. Well, you know, even when you're expecting it, you can't know what it's going to feel like until it happens. And it is always profoundly sad, I think, any loss at any age. Absolutely. Um, I grieved my father-in-law at 87 as much as I grieved my parents at a much younger age, but I could rationalize it more saying that he had a good, long life, a fulfilling life. But when someone so young, you know, their time is cut short, um, it makes it that much worse. I mean, I... You know, it, I, it adds a, a whole layer, I guess, or a whole uh, aspect that's yeah. wrenching. It wasn't age-appropriate, age and so many of the young girls in my group, we've had some terrible losses. Two of them are in the book, the Pink Moon Lovelies. One of them is a South African lovely who passed at 32, and um, another is a lovely from Pennsylvania who passed at 38. And since publishing the book, two of the women in the book have died. Very, very difficult. You know, we forge strong, close relationships. It's just never, never enough time. Um, and, you know, it's hard to say goodbye to somebody that we love. You know, the relationship might not end, but they're not here anymore, and you can't hear their voice. You can't write to them, and you can't see them, and it's final. Absolutely. Um, and that, that's, that's tough. It is. Yeah. One, one thing that's really with me here as I'm speaking with you is... Um, uh, there, there was a place in your book where, I, I guess I would call it a, re, uh, a deepening or return to faith that you experienced mm-hmm. for yourself. And what I'm thinking right now is that, um, not a new thought, I, I've had this with many guests, that faith has nothing to do with not grieving. You know, we're, we have faith and we grieve. Um, and that it's still on this earth wrenching and and um, ripping, in a sense, to lose someone. And then there are specific things that even further tear, like uh, loss of young people, mm-hmm. like we're talking about. There's a, there's a kind of um, upside-down quality to it, even though, of course, death happens at all ages. Suddenness of it is what you know that, that, that children um, pass away all the time at young ages from cancer. I had a cousin who died at 16 weeks uh, last year from you know was born with a heart defect and then had neuroblastoma. You know, all very sad. But but when it's expected, it's it's just different than when it's a different thing. It's yeah. a different thing. This is different. You know, and people have written from me all over and some very deeply religious people and um, and I appreciate that and I, I do have faith but I think at times like this faith can be shaken it doesn't mean that you don't still have it but I think that it's normal to question 
you know, it's just human nature. Um, and to be these, and to be maybe a little bit angry. Yeah, I think so. I think I know, but that I mean, that does imply a relationship, doesn't it? <laughs> no, I just think you can be mad and outraged at God. And you know, someone wrote that to me last night and said, "You can be mad and outraged. He can take it. Just don't give up." Mm. You know, it's. And uh, I think that you know you you need to pray for just you know for for support to get through this. I guess I don't know. I probably not making a lot of sense because I'm so grief stricken myself right now and. Probably wasn't the best time to do your show, but... Um, well, Nikki, on the other hand, yeah. you know, very often... There are a few times that I have spoken with guests who are kind of smack in the middle as we're talking about. Yeah. And I think that's a really important voice because people out there, some of them are smack in the middle. And yeah. to know that we can have some perspective, but also just feel the pain of it. Yeah. And, and at... At early stages of loss, that's just how it is. You know, a week after my my mom died, I still had my perspective. I still believed what I believed, but I was in pain. Yeah. And, and there, you know, know. The world doesn't stop for one second. Not a second. Not a second. The sun comes up the next so day. True. Everybody's going about their business. And you want to tell everybody, can you just pause? Just, just for, shut it down for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Can you just pause and note the passing of this extraordinary life, you know, mm-hmm. of this person that meant so much to us. That's not how it goes. Life just goes right on, and you have to find a way to just learn to learn to live without the person that you love that's now gone. Um, and could, that's we, could we honor his name at least for this moment? Yes, his name is Jonathan Thomas Rose. Jonathan Thomas Rose will be missed in the world that's so very clear by many people especially his family and my daughter and us yep i so appreciate you sharing about this on air i you know that can be a very hard thing to do when it's so raw for you yes and i i really appreciate you not um uh, you know, blocking it off <laughs> because that is, of course, what you're what you're in right now. Yeah, but I also know he was the kind of guy that lived such a happy life. He'd want us to, you know, obviously probably yell at us off for crying so much, and would want us to at some point, you know, pick up the pieces of our lives and uh, make the most of it and move on. He'd want us to be happy, but that's going to take time, and we deserve time to to miss him and to grieve him and to um, make sense if we ever can. I don't know that we ever will, but... Yeah, for myself, I'm I'm more intent. I'm not sure about sense. I used to be very rational, <laughs> rationally yeah. inclined. Now I'd rather make meaning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Making sense seems impossible. It is impossible. Uh, I think you're right, Cheryl, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I understand the desire... To, to kind of uh, form it in our heads in such a way that we can imagine that it that it's uh, orderly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just so sad right now. But, uh, you know, um, we'll get through it. You know, we have the love of family and friends and community and people like you and professionals like you 
mm-hmm. will help us, uh, you know, work through this. You know, every, I think my daughter's willing to do the work. That's, that's the truth. She doesn't want to become embittered or anger or feel shortchanged. She wants to be grateful for all that she had. And she had more than most, you know, and he lived more than most in his short mm-hmm. time. There's still many blessings here, but, you know, right now, we're just can't, hurting. You, you, you can't rush the blessings. No, no, thank <laughs> you. They'll, they'll support you, but not prevent the pain of it, I'm sure. No, no great pain. Unbear- it's really unbearable sorrow, really. Yeah, and I thought I had experienced it all in my time, but... Oh, well. But thank you so very much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. I hope some of your listeners will join us on Beyond the Pink Moon on Facebook. Love to have Absolutely. them, whether they're caregivers or patients themselves or, pro- or medical professionals. Um, and, all are welcome. And I hope you take all the time you need. And I also um, look forward to the time when you're ready to resume because yes. you're doing something really incredible in the world. And oh, I'll you. bet it will be also touched by this experience in some way. But well, uh, right, yeah, that's off in the future. Yeah, that thank is. You, right, thank right, you yeah. so much. Thank you, Nikki. Cheryl. All right, take care. Uh, again, look for Nikki Durlester on um, Beyond the Pink Moon at Facebook. Next week, I'll be welcoming Lorraine Hedke, a bereavement counselor and group leader and author of Remembering Lives and My Grandmother is Always With Me, two books which grew out of her work with those coming to terms with loss. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week.